Welcome to the EarFluence Podcast, which is a podcast about podcasting from a podcast production company. I'm Jason Gillikin, CEO of EarFluence, your host for today. And with me, as always, is Cece Huffman, pretty much the doer of all things at EarFluence. She does social media, she does content creation, she does editing, and she is well, the co-host of this podcast. What's good, Cece? <laughs> Hello, I'm great. I'm actually at the beach. So I found the quietest place I could at the beach uh, to record this podcast. And I've been working all week, but it's been really nice to just look at the water while I do it. Nice. What's been the highlight of the week uh, while you're at the beach? Um, well, I won two games of pool last night and I'm really bad at pool and I've never won before. And so <laughs> I'd say that was definitely the highlight. Wow. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, we are joined by Justin Jackson, who is the CEO of Transistor, the CEO and co-founder of Transistor. Yes, something we use all the time. All the time. And uh, talking offline with him, uh, I don't know if he's a pool player, but he is a skier uh, based in British Columbia and lives very close to, to mountains where you can ski, where you can snowboard. Justin Jackson, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm excited to dig into these two pool games at CC1. I think that should be the focus of the show. Let's well, just dig into all the strategy, that. how it happened. So how, how did, hit it and hope happen? for the best. Hit it and hope for the best. That's pretty much it. I'm really good at it on iMessage games because it tells you the direction that it's going to go once you oh, hit it. See? And so I was trying to pretend I was playing iMessage. And that worked for me. <laughs> I like this. So the key is you got to practice on iMessage and then you take that game to the real game. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's strategy. <laughs> that is smart, Cece. Nice work. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Well, well Justin, I'm excited to dig in to learn more about Transistor because we, we use it as a company at EarFluence. We use it. We have about 10 podcasts right now that are on Transistor. Um, we've used other podcast host before. Um, and just so everybody knows, Transistor is a podcast host platform. Um, we've used others. You might have heard of Libsyn. You might have heard of Anchor. You might have heard of um, you know some of these other ones. And we've used Libsyn in the past. And uh, that's, that's fine. Um, I like some of the things that Transistor offers uh, better, though. So, you know, Justin, I'm excited to, to hear your story and, and why you started it and you know what it's been like to challenge some of these bigger names in uh, in the podcast hosting space. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to get into all of that. I, I, one correction though, uh, technically I'm, I'm not the CEO. Technically John and I are both co-CEOs and co-founders. So okay. we, we are basically equal partners in everything. So um, we've been hesitant to, to even take on any of the normal, I guess for tax purposes, maybe one day we're going to have to do it. But <laughs> right now we just introduce ourselves as co-founders and um, that's worked out well for us. It's essentially still the two of us. We have uh, a few contractors that help us with customer support and uh, we have someone that helps us with podcast editing. But uh, other than that, it's just, it's still just John and I, and uh, yeah, it's been a great journey. I'm happy to get into it. Well, that that's super interesting right away because you said co-CEO. So my mind's wondering, okay, well, how do you even do that? Like, how do you, like when, when it comes to making a decision, yes, you want to talk to that person about it, but ultimately somebody's going to have to be the decision maker. 
um, hold that for a second and, mm -hmm. and rewind to, you know, why did you or why did you and John decide to start Transistor? I mean, there's kind of, a, there is a long string of events uh, on both sides that I think culminate in us starting the company. So we met in 2014 at this uh, festival called XOXO in Portland. And uh, he, at the time, had built the first version of Simplecast. And I had uh, a few podcasts that I was running at the time. And he said, hey, man, you should just, um, you should just come and, uh, you know, try out Simplecast. So I did. And we would then just see each other every year at XOXO, hang out, talk about podcasting, talk about life. And uh, over time, we even started doing a few projects together and uh, worked on a few things that, you know, never, never really launched or, uh, you know, never really got any traction. So what were you doing in 2014 then when, when you two met at XOXO? What was, what was your job? At the time, I was a product manager for uh, Sprintly. Okay. Uh, project management software. So yeah, I was like working full time as a product manager and doing podcasts on the side. That's that's really early. 2014. You were you were early in the game then. I mean, at the time I felt like I was late. <laughs> 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 it's so funny to think about it now, but I mean, I even back then, I remember feeling like I had this show called Product People. And I was, you know. Uh, I just felt like I was late, like the the best kind of interview shows at the time that were interviewing other product people were, um, you know, had been going for some had been going for five years by that point. But the nice thing about podcasting is it's it's a wave that has kind of culminated slowly. Um, I think podcasting has been growing about 10 percent a year forever. And um, we just flipped over you know, like 51% of Americans have listened to a podcast at some point. But it's not like video that was like, you know, uh, it, it just accelerated a lot faster, right? So yeah, yeah, I was doing it back then. And then um, fast forward to end of 2017, John's working for Cards Against Humanity. And oh. uh, they wanted to launch a sh new show. And uh, they were looking at all the tools and John's like looking at him. He's like, I, I could build something better than this. And so he just asked if he could, you know, if he built a tool, would they use it? And they said, yes. And he was, I think just thinking, well, I'll just do this for cards and, you know, we'll see what happens. But I was like noticing all of these touch points over the years, like, in the past, I would say, ah, it's not a great time to start a podcast company. Uh, it was very DIY, uh, really price conscious customer, mm -hmm. uh, mostly still hobbyists in their basements. Definitely. But then th th I just noticed, for example, companies starting to build podcast studios at the company, hiring podcast talent, um, multiple companies starting a podcast. Plus, you know, in the, you know, it used to be just, you know, me and a few of my friends that had a podcast, but increasingly more and more of the people I knew on the internet had started one or wanted to start one. 
and then we also had the zeitgeist of uh, Serial and uh, Gimlet. Right. The New yep. York Times is doing a, a piece on podcasting every week, it seemed like. And so it's very much kind of in the public sphere. People are thinking about it. Companies are actually putting real dollars behind it. And it just felt like the right time. I was also just ready for a new project. And so, you know, in the, I'd like to say like John was like, Hey, Justin, we should work on this together. But I begged him Um, (laughs) and I just, uh, I just knew this hasn't always been the case with other partnerships and other projects, even projects that John and I had worked on in the past together. Uh, But I just knew this one, like I just knew if I was like, um, like an animal just ready to get out of the cage. Like I was ready. I was, I was as fast as John would let me run. I was going to run. And so I was just geared up. We were both kind of uniquely poised for the opportunity. And it just felt like things were all really aligning. And so um, I was ready. Like as soon as he told me that he was working on it, I was like, we've got to do this together it took a little bit more convincing. But. <laughs> and so were you working on it uh, like on the side for a little while? Uh, well, well, John is at cards and, and you're, mm-hmm. you're a project manager. And um, uh, by this point I went, I'd gone independent in 2016. So I had uh, this community for bootstrappers called Mega Maker that was um, earning, you know, enough revenue for me to live on. And uh, I was speaking at conferences and doing other things. So I, I was, I'd already cut the cord um, and had been running my own business for a while. He was still working full time. And um, I mean, the nice thing is we, we started a podcast called Build Your SaaS almost as soon as we signed the partnership agreements. So, uh, you know, I could spin a good tale right here, but the, the, the reality is all in that podcast. It's like a journal of what we've done so far. And, uh, yeah. So at the beginning it was part-time and, uh, we, we had a working version almost right away. Cause John had been working on it for cards and we were able to, I think even as soon as February or March of that year, 2018, we were able to start getting early access users in paying us and, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't grow as you, you always want it to grow faster, but in retrospect, it grew really fast. Like we officially launched August 1st, 2018. And by August, 2019, one year later, we were both full-time on it. But at the time during the grind, it was like, gah, this is taking, if you listen to some of those episodes, we both start flailing in different ways. For me, I was starting to focus all my time on Transistor. Like I would just wake up every day, answer customer support requests. I was marketing it. I was building the marketing site. I was just spending so much time on it and um, not really uh, making any money. And John was, his money problems were fine because he was working full time, but time-wise he was in a real crunch uh, because he'd come home exhausted from looking at a screen all day. And then he would have to look at a screen evenings and weekends. So there's definitely, you'll, you'll notice there's like a pulling apart when we're 
as we're building this. It's like we're getting stretched like an elastic band. And there is, you know, elastic bands only stretch so far. I think we were fortunate in that eventually we just, we had always had traction, but the traction just started. It was just, you know, like there were months where we were growing 30, 40% every month. And so that helped to get us to this baseline where we could both, uh, you know, focus on it full time. Uh, wow. Yeah. That, that's really great, Justin. So, you know, when, when you're first starting out, did you know, like, okay, we can take share, we can take market share away from Lipson. Uh, we can take mm. market share away from uh, SoundCloud. Uh, mm -hmm. From, from, from uh, I don't, even, I don't know if Anchor was uh, super active then, but yeah, was, yeah, was that the, the goal? Then, yeah. yeah, I mean, so there's a few things. I had met uh, this guy named Adam Wathen, and uh, he had introduced me to this other guy named Taylor, and these two guys um, kind of blew apart my understanding of what was possible in business and what, what made some businesses kind of just catch fire. So Taylor Otwell, do you know who that is, by the way? No, I, I, I recognize the name, but no. Most people don't. He's, I think he's one of the most successful independent bootstrapped entrepreneurs on the planet, but he doesn't even consider himself an entrepreneur really, or a good marketer or anything. He's a programmer. He started a framework for PHP, which is a programming language. And he did, he started this, uh, I don't know, 10 years uh, ago, something like that. Since he launched Laravel, uh, I think he's made about $10 million from wow. Laravel related products. And really for most of that, he's been a, a solo uh, person. He has, now he has a few staff people as well. And I just remember like in my sphere, you know, uh, I was friends with folks like Nathan Barry and um, I'd seen like, you know, what they were able to do. Uh, for example, I had a course called Marketing for Developers and I thought it had done pretty well. It was doing about 200,000 a year or something. And, you know, in my sphere, that was pretty normal. And uh, Adam came along and he's like, oh, hey, I, you know, I'm writing a book for Laravel, this thing that Taylor designed. And uh, I wonder if you could give me some tips on marketing it, on launching it. And I said, okay, sure. And so I'm giving them the tips. I'm giving them the same launch plan that I did for my book. And then in one week, he made more than I had in all a year. <laughs> wow. And I said, what, what, is, what is going on here? And he's like, is this pretty good? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, this is, I've, I've never... I've never seen this before. Like this is abnormal. Uh, so his floor was my ceiling. You know what I mean? And that's just a weird place to be in, to, to feel like, no, like a good independent business for a solo founder is, you know, $200,000 a year. Like that's, that's, you're doing good then. And he showed me that there was, a whole other ceiling. And I think the, the key piece I realized is that it's all about the market. It's all about the market you choose. So 
PHP has millions of developers that use it all around the world. It's not the coolest language. It's kind of old and crusty, but these developers have to use it for work and they're desperate for good tools. And so when Taylor came along and introduced Laravel, they were hungry for it. And um, these millions of developers that had never been given anything cool suddenly had some cool stuff to work with. And then Adam came along, saw the, the traction Taylor was getting in that market, and he wrote a, a book on um, basically refactoring for Laravel. And uh, in the same way, that took off as well. So as I was observing this, um, the note I was taking mentally was the next product I launch is going to be in a market that's big enough and hungry enough that, um, you know, if I can swim out and catch that wave, it'll be bigger than waves I've caught before. As I'm having that realization, John comes to me, says he's working on this thing. Everything starts to click into place. I knew it wasn't a massive market. It's not as big as PHP developers worldwide. It's still fairly small, actually. Um, I mean, we're, I think we're at maybe over a million podcasts on Apple Podcasts. It's still small. There's like, I don't know, 50 million YouTube channels or something like that. 550 million blogs. Um, but it was big enough and the market was hungry enough, I think, for something new. There were some kind of old crusty players like, well, I won't name names, but <laughs> there's some old crusty players. And so I realized there was potential there, but the key was this market has to have enough of the, the shape and characteristics of this market matter a lot. And just like a surfer sits in the water and waits for the right wave, I was sitting in the water waiting for the right wave and I didn't want to swim out for anything that wasn't worth surfing. And so I'm sitting in the water and this podcasting wave comes along and I'm like, okay, this one, it looks good. The size and shape of this wave looks like it has potential. Wow. That's awesome. I love the metaphor too. And you said you had a book, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Marketing for developers was the book that, uh, that I launched and yeah, it was fine. It was fine, but it was just, I mean, it, in retrospect, it makes sense. If you take the worldwide, like worldwide, there's tons of software developers. It's actually a good market there. It's a unique market because these folks are, um, economically incentivized to improve their skills and to get better tools. And so they buy lots of courses, they buy lots of books, they buy lots of uh, tools to make their lives better. But <laughs> if you take the whole pie of software developers worldwide, and then you go, how many of them want to learn marketing? It becomes very small. <laughs> and then it's like, how many of them want to learn marketing from a jackass like me? It's even tiny. So, uh, <laughs> I think the other thing I realized during that time is, you know, I had always started these businesses that were just enough. It was like, okay, if I can get to, like, again, uh, I have uh, four kids. So like, you know, to some people, $200,000 is a lot of money, but once you, you know, pay off your business expenses and once you 
pay your payroll taxes. And once you do all that other stuff, even as a solo founder, it's just not that much, uh, especially in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, I was always like building these businesses that were just enough. There wasn't like a bunch of margin there. And the other problem is I was building these businesses that didn't build on top of each other. Like I would launch something and it would have a good launch, but then I would have to start all over again the next quarter. And it was just exhausting. But then I saw Adam launch his book and it was like, uh, I think he's been public about this. I think it's made about $2 million or something. Wow. And just him having all of that margin in the bank account, he didn't have any uh, desperation, right? It was right. like, he wasn't just building for the next quarter. He, he built something, launched it for a, a big enough market that was hungry for what he wanted. It, I was, did I say that right? A big enough market that was hungry for what he was creating. And um, then he was able to, he had leverage, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that, I think that was part of it was me thinking, it's, it's just like, like, like you're at the, the beach right now, Cece. The, yes. the waves, like <laughs> some waves that a good wave just lasts a lot longer. And right. you can see someone, if they try to ride a small wave, they're just like, you can maneuver your board however you want. You can be the best. The, the example I, I always give is like, you can be the best product person, marketer, CEO, whatever. But if you're riding a little dinky wave, it doesn't matter how much skill you have. It right. doesn't. It doesn't, you're not, the wave's not going to get any bigger. The key, yes, your skills matter. Yes, your connections matter. Yes, uh, you know, everything you bring to bear matters. But no wave, no business, right? Like that's just how it works. But for the right wave, like again, with podcasting, I saw that wave and I'm like, I can go head to head with those guys. Like I can compete with Libsyn. I, I just knew it. and. Uh, John's an incredible product person, incredible builder. He'd already built Simplecast before. I was like, we can do this, right? Um, that's that's awesome, Justin. That that wave that you're on continues to to build right now. And like you said, with over a million podcasts out there on on Apple Podcasts, and uh, you mentioned some old and crusty players in the industry. Uh, I, my first, my first podcast was 2017 and I use SoundCloud. So, mm, you know, yeah. that, that, that'll tell my you. My first there. podcast was in March and I use SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's a, that's a no CC. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's good. What's nice about it is that, uh, I recommend SoundCloud and anchor to people all the time because for some folks, it's a great place to start. And uh, we're not a good fit for somebody who's just figuring things out. Um, but we have a lot of people who import shows from SoundCloud and Anchor. Um, and so there's a natural kind of stair-step process that people go through. And once they, you know, once they get their bearings and um, there's this kind of natural like, okay, now I'm going to upgrade my microphone and now I'm going right. to, you know upgrade my podcast hosting and analytics and you just kind of keep going and going. So, um, yeah, I, I like that part of it. There's still some substantial threats, I think in the industry, but, um, overall it's been really good to us so far. 
Well, yeah, I mean, of, of course, there there's some threads. So you look at uh, like Spotify owns, owns Anchor now, right? So yeah, I mean, Spotify that's... Spotify is the biggest threat. And so, like, uh, you you started to see some su- success from from search, and you had mentioned before that there were some months where you would grow a little bit, and then some gr- months that you would grow 40 percent. Mm-hmm. Was there a mama I made it moment for you? Oh yeah, I mean, when I went full time. That was, that was amazing. I think we were paying ourselves each like five grand a month or something. And it wasn't a lot of money, but just the feeling of like, okay, we made X amount last month. And for sure, we're going to make that amount plus something else this month was just really incredible. Um, so, and, and generally like the, the, the benchmark we were going after was, you know, first we were going after $10,000 a month. And then the real kind of what Jason Cohen told us, he's the founder of WP Engine. He said, you know, after a couple of years, you should be two to three years, you should have $10,000 MRR per founder. That's kind of like the, the benchmark for most bootstrap SaaS. And, um, yeah, when we hit that, when we hit 20,000 total a month, it was like, okay, like this is kind of like uh, default alive, you know? It's like, all right, we 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 hit this. It's still not, hasn't proven itself to be a good business. We always said, we felt like a good business would be $50,000 a month. Um, but when we hit that 20,000, it was like, all right, this feels, this feels good. When did that happen? Uh, I think that's still public. We had our all of our figures oh. month uh, public for a while. We hit uh, twenty thousand dollars a month right before John went. John and I went full time. So uh, July two thousand nineteen. Wow. Yeah, and that was. I mean, at the beginning, it's super fun because it's just growing so much every month. It's just, uh, you know, I would kill for these growth numbers now. Um, yeah, that was really fun. And then our next kind of, we don't have any like hockey stick inflection points, but we got a big boost, um, from the pandemic actually, when people were locked down, um, not the whole pandemic, but April and May, uh, we had a significant increase in customers. And I know the guys at squadcast.fm, they do uh, like pod, remote podcast recording software. They um, they said, and I think this is public as well, because they did it at a conference, that last year at this time, they were at $10,000 a month in recurring revenue. And now they're at $100,000 a month in recurring revenue. And most wow. of that growth happened during the pandemic. Wow. So we didn't see growth like that. Like that is, that's, incre- that's incredible. Um, but there were certainly some players in the industry who benefit, benefited massively from the quarantine, which is weird, a weird place to be because there's so many people who are suffering. Um, but people locked down in their houses, uh, you know, a lot of their first thoughts were like, oh, this is a great time to start a show. I've always wanted to do that. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, you can't really plan on it, but um, that's that's 
definitely happened for us as an industry. I remember when the pandemic started, everybody said, oh, podcasting is going to die. You know, you listen to it on the commute and then you listen Mm -hmm. to it on the way home and then that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, the complete opposite happened. So many people wanted to start them and so many people were at home and wanted to listen. Yeah, I was worried about that too. We were prepared at the beginning of the pandemic to lose 50% of our revenue. That was like, we're like, okay, this could, this could really hurt us. And we were prepared for that. And by the way, that could still happen. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like I'm like, the one thing about being an entrepreneur is most of my friends who are entrepreneurs do not sleep very good. <laughs> uh, I don't either. <laughs> and it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I think we can learn to, but you have kind of these dual problems, which is uh, you're either anxious about something in a, in a worried state or you're anxious about something in an excited state. And, uh, there's always something to worry about. Like you, you just end up worrying about like global politics. You end up worrying about the economy. You end up worrying about, you know, all of these things that are outside of your control or you're like super excited about something. You're super excited to build a new feature or to, you know, make this tweak to the thing, or you get an idea in the middle of the night and then you can't get back to sleep it's the worst. It's like, it's the, it's the, the curse of, uh, being a founder. And so if you really like sleep, I think you probably shouldn't become a founder. It's just not, it's, it's almost everybody (laughs) I know who's a founder doesn't sleep that good. Um, I, I wrote a piece called, um, good businesses have margin or something like that. And I think that's, Uh, something that gets lost sometimes in the advice, like a lot of the advice is like, just work yourself to the bone, go, you know, a (laughs) hundred hours a week, just pedal to the metal, man, come on. (laughs) And um, I think, I don't know. I think that's BS. Good businesses should give you a bunch of margin. And I, you know, the only thing I have scheduled in my calendar are podcast interviews like this because I enjoy them. And product demos. And I actually don't like product demos as much, but I'm willing to do them. I choose to do them because, you know, it's good for business. But I don't have anything else in my calendar. My calendar, my ideal calendar state is empty. And um, that margin is very nice. Um, And same as, you know, the difference between running a business that was just super close to the metal financially. Like every year I'm like, okay, well, I really did it that last year. Like we... We had a good year, but, oh God, I got to do that again next year and improve on it. And it was just exhausting. Um, So to now have a business that has margin is super helpful. I think eventually we're going to have to hire somebody, but it's also been nice to have just a very low headcount because when we were going into the pandemic, it wasn't like I was also stressed about having to lay off 10 people. Um, We just knew like, it's just us full-time and then we've got some part-time contractors and uh if anything actually what was nice is we were able to really uh take care of our people and um we've paid quite a few bonuses since the pandemic started um just because we can we have lots of margin to do that Uh, so yeah i think margin is important and i'm hoping it'll eventually let me sleep better (laughs) so 
We've talked about COVID. We've talked about not sleeping. And when I was doing research for this podcast, I saw that you had done an interview where you talked about you'd struggled with mental health when you were starting Transistor. And so Mm. what kind of advice do you have for somebody who's like not sleeping, who's, you know, in quarantine, who's trying to start this company and just is exhausted? Like, what would you tell them? Mm, Yeah. So most of my mental health struggle happened in 2016 and 17. And so uh, as I was coming out of it, that's when I started talking to John. Gotcha. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a few things. Uh, The first thing is, and this is going to sound so counterintuitive, especially if you are working super hard to take care of your family and you feel like everything's riding on you and you, you know, you can't slow down. Uh, This is like, this is a a song, right? Uh, Ain't no rest for the wicked. You know, you just can't slow down. (laughs) You got to, you got to like, just keep going. And the advice is you must slow down and take time to take care of yourself. So for me, that meant uh, going to therapy for the first time. And uh, I'm glad actually now that so many people are open about therapy and talking about it. Uh, because for me, I was always like, I don't know. I just like this awkward embarrassment about it. Like, I don't want to, like, I'm going to search for a therapist on the internet, like therapist near me. And then I'm going to like <laughs> browse profiles. And then I'm going to like, how does it work? Like it was the pro the process was for whatever reason, like just uncomfortable. The idea was uncomfortable. So even when I was in pain, I didn't seek anybody out because I was just like, ah, like it's just the too, I don't know. But when things got so bad, I was forced, you know, kind of out of my, uh, you know, forced to find somebody. And I did, I just Googled therapist near me. Actually, first <laughs> I tried uh, that, like, you know, there's like online chat therapy. Yes. Um, and it might be, Talk yeah, it might be or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, and it might be good for some people, but I think for me, it was just another way for me to avoid this uncomfortable. Like, I just didn't want to like have the uncomfortable thing of having to find a person and sit on a couch and talk to them. Um, but that was the better thing for me. So, that chat therapy didn't work for me. What worked was finding a professional in my area who I tried a few different people. I like went to one therapist and it wasn't like a good experience, which is fine. And then I just went to someone else and it was uh, a lot better. And um, yeah, I think I've seen her now without fail at least once a month, probably since, uh, I don't know if it's been two years or three years. Um, So that is a big one. And uh, I pay out of pocket for it. Um, It's there. I, I, I understand that for a lot of people, there's going to be all sorts of barriers to them going, um, financial and all that stuff. But it is like the one thing I think is worth investing in uh, at least once or twice, um, because especially for men, um, a lot of men have nobody that they talk to. So uh, like my female friends, <laughs> you know, they'll they'll have they'll go to therapy, but they've also talked to other people. But a lot of men are just like, don't talk to anybody. (laughs) And, 
you know, my poor therapist, that first time I got in, I, I, I just like, you know, nonstop, like years and decades of, of stuff coming out. So do that. Take care of yourself first. It's going to be counterintuitive, but it's absolutely necessary. And the other thing is you just need to build margin into your life. And so this real North American attitude of just like, go out and do it. Like, just come on, man. Like, you know, just get it, get in the truck and start driving um, is, is folly. This idea that we would just be, for example, for me, this idea that I would go independent in 2016. I mean, that was actually not too bad, but I had, you know, a bunch of dependents at home. I didn't have a lot of savings. Like one thing that will help a lot is just start with more margin. Yeah. <laughs> like start with more money in the bank account. Uh, the biggest threat for a bootstrapper is that they will get broke or broken, right? And so if you're not doing super well emotionally already, it's probably not a good time to start a company. Um, as much as you think that might solve your problems, uh, if you are not doing, you know, if you don't have any money in savings, the pressure that that's going to create once you start your business and you've cut the cord uh, is going to be, it's going to be too much. And so uh, the more margin you can start with, the better. And, and like, so before you start your company, that's a good time to, you know, find a therapist. Um, even if it's just like finding a therapist that you're going to only go to when things get bad or whatever, but at least you've made a contact, uh, save up some money, reduce your expenses, um, you know, gain the relevant skills that you'll need, gain the relevant connections that you'll need. There's all sorts of stuff you can do before you start a business um, that will really help determine whether you're going, going to be able to go to the, the distance. The same is true for podcasting, by the way. Most of the work is before you start the podcast, right? It's like your, your opportunity to promote it is best before you launch, your opportunity to build up anticipation, your opportunity to you know, have some sort of expertise that you can talk about. It all happens before. And the podcast is just an expression of everything that you've done before that moment. And companies are kind of the same way. They're just, people think like the company is the, that's where all the development work happens. It actually happens before you break ground. Mm. That, that is really good advice, Justin. And the back to the therapist point, like the stigma for men is, uh, is still there to a degree, but not as much, not nearly as much as it was. Oh, no, not, not, I, I mean, one thing that helped me was people talking openly about it. Um, I can't even remember the uh, the quote now. Who had it? It was like a comedian had said this, but something around along the lines of like, you can't just have thoughts jiggling around in your head all the time. Like you need to get them out uh, and out on a regular basis. And I just never, and him talking openly about it. Um, you know, that helped me go, okay, like, I guess I can't just have these thoughts in my head all the time. <laughs> they do need to get out somehow. And for there to be an appropriate place to do that. 
Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I, I mean, now it's almost like too cl cliche, but it's a good cliche. It's like, everybody's talking about therapy and, um, that's a good thing. Uh, I'm, um, and, oh, that was actually another thing I should mention because I, we have a, there's a big drinking culture in, in entrepreneurship too. Uh, the first time I went to my therapist and she goes, okay, the first thing I want you to do is go to your family doctor. And I said, why on earth does she want me to go to my family doctor? And I didn't, I, I mean, what, what do I hate more than going to therapy? Going to my <laughs> doctor. <laughs> so I get sent to the doctor and you know, doctor says, why are you here? I'm like, my therapist told me to come. I'm depressed. And she goes, okay, well, you know, tell me a bit about your life. Are you, uh, are you drinking? I said, oh, not that much. I have, she says, well, what does not that much mean? <laughs> I said, well, every night after I put my boys to sleep, I have a shot of whiskey. And I said, sometimes two on a bad night. And she said, so you're <laughs> drinking two shots of whiskey most nights. I said, yeah. She said, well, that's a lot of drinking for someone who's depressed. Like alcohol is a depressant. Hmm. It, it makes you more depressed. Uh, how many, you know, what kind of drugs are you doing? I said, I don't really do that many drugs. I like maybe eat like a, a marijuana gummy every once in a while. She's like, okay, well, I want you to cut that out too. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your prescription for the next 30 days. I don't want you to drink anything. I don't want you to take any, no marijuana. And I want you to double your exercise. And I hated this idea, <laughs> uh, but I did it for 30 days. It did not help. Like I, I was like waiting for it to like kick in. It did not help for the first two weeks, but th by week three and week four, I did start to feel better. And um, after we launched the company, John and I, I said, John, let's do this thing. Cause I'd started drinking again. I said, let's do this thing where we don't drink until we hit $10,000 in revenue. And so uh, I, we did that. And then I just, after we hit the milestone, I just said, I'm just going to stop because it just doesn't add anything to my life. Um, so I think for folks to look, again, your personal situation is really going to determine whether you're broke or broken. And so you need to examine these parts of your life that uh, you know, we just don't talk about in polite society, but really right. do impact us. And we need to be able to say these things explicitly, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, having a drink every day, just so that you can stay on top of things is, uh, not a good way to live your life. And it's, it's going, it's going to have adverse effects on you. So, um, you need to consider those things before, you know, as you're doing your company and, you know, examining your life, not avoiding those things is going to help a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's just so easy, right. To, to get a drink after a, a long day of work. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, by the way, I'm not saying that nobody should do that. Um, certainly I'm just saying for me that that like, my co-founder still drinks and, you know, people around me still drink. But I think the important piece is to look at that for yourself and to have a clear picture. Like no one had told me that alcohol was a depressant. And so I'm feeling crappy and, you know, 
at the end of the day, I'm just like feeling haggard. I get my boys into bed, you know, I've got all this financial stress and everything. It's like, okay, you know what I need? I just like need that release. And it's, it, it was having the adverse, the opposite effect is making me more depressed, right? And then I wake up the next morning and the, the biggest thing I realized is how crappy I feel like two to three days after drinking. It's like, <laughs> I just didn't realize I was living my whole life and just like this, like I wake up the next day and I would just feel like garbage. But that was like, it was so normal. I didn't see it. So the, the, I think the point is you just need to look at your own life and bring it up with your doctor, bring it up with your, you know, just, Hey, I think I should tell you how much I'm drinking just to check in like this and to have a third party go, "Hmm, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, that's a lot of whiskey, you know? I think that's really great advice for everyone, whether or not you're starting a business, but I want to kind of wrap things up on a positive note. So Mm -hmm. I want to know in these last couple of years, like, what are you most proud of? What is something that you could say to somebody like, look what, I made look what I did I'm so proud of this hmm um I mean I am I think I'm really proud of the work I've been doing on myself I think that has been just foundational to (laughs) to realize that I am not my work I am not the success of this business that I I have value and I can like myself outside of those things um and I'm still like I'm still at the beginning of that journey. Uh, so I'm, I am proud of that though. I feel like there's been some good work there. I'm really proud of the work John and I've done together. I, I just think for a long time, I was trying to do everything by myself and having a good partner. Um, yeah, there's kind of nothing like it. It's, it's, it's just every day, you know, we wake up and we're like, can you believe we get to do this? Like, this is just amazing you know um so yeah it's been it's been so nice to work with him i know some partnerships don't work out but i think for a lot of us like there are times like voltron where the sum of the parts is better than the individual parts and that's true for john and i and i just love working with him like if if I could be guaranteed that I could just work with John and make stuff the rest of my life, um, I would, I would do that in a heartbeat. Right. What it's a quote. Really great. Yeah. yeah take quote. that clip oh and send it to him on his birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Justin, that's awesome. And we want to be respectful of your time. Um, can you give the audience a podcast recommendation? Like, what do you, what do you listen to? that's not say work related that you just have that you just listen to for for enjoyment oh man there's so many things uh i think the jungle prince fell uh, under a lot of people's radars it was a new york times podcast it is just a fascinating story uh from beginning to end uh yeah i i found myself like binging it it was really really great also the missing crypto queen is excellent if you haven't heard it yet it okay again it just it hooks you right away the storytelling is incredible uh and you'll find yourself binging every episode it's a it's a great kind of um escape when you need one that's awesome and so for our listeners how can they uh find transistor like what's what's the website and why should you know who's the right 
um, who's the right market for you? Yeah, I think anybody who wants to start a podcast and is pretty serious about it. So whether that's for yourself or your company or your organization, uh, we're a great fit for all those folks. And uh, yeah, it's transistor.fm. If you're interested in how to get started, go to transistor.fm. And at the top, I have a how to start a podcast guide. And uh, I've just put a lot of work into that, helping you find the right microphones and things like that to get started. Um, there's a There's a budget option and then a more advanced option there. That is awesome because we'll do a how to start a podcast webinar every now and then. So, you know, the, uh, the next one we'll have to have you on and oh, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Justin Jackson, co-CEO of Transistor <laughs> and co-founder of, of Transistor and CC Huffman. Thank you so much for joining us on the EarFluence podcast. It's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure, Justin. Yeah, this is really fun. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And if you're looking for full service podcast production, make sure you visit earfluence.com. And then if you're looking for a podcast host, use what we use, transistor.fm.